Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, or whenever you may be listening. My name is Vinny Henke, and you're listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We're right in the middle of our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, where we're exploring the modern-day themes and connections to the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm here with Jeff Ludington, lead pastor of Generations Church. Good morning, Jeff. You know it's 3 in the afternoon, right? It's almost 4. Is it 4? It is. It's almost 4 in the afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, Pastor Vinny. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. After like seven <laughs> episodes in, I'm I'm cried, buddy. But oh. I'm excited about Lord's Day Seven and getting into what the Catechism has for us today. I am too. So, as Pastor Vinny said, this is Lord's Day Seven. If you've been following along, each Lord's Day begins on a Sunday, as if it were taught in church. But consider it more a what you do throughout the week, starting on Sunday. A father training his children, a mother training her daughters, a uh, a discipler training a disciple. The week begins off. We've got a new topic. And so for us today, we have what's called Lord's Day 7. It consists of four questions and answers. Again, memorize questions, memorize answers. This is memorizing truth. And this way, when we are going through life, we have truth that we can, we can hang on to. Things that come back to us in the midst of our life, in the midst of our struggles. True things we can hang on. And these are only true, not because they're a catechism. They're true because Scripture supports them. So these are the truths of Scripture boiled down into some simple questions and answers. Again, many times this has been used as a father training a son. So we're reading it back and forth just like that. So I'm going to read the first question, uh, question 20 is, are all saved through Christ, just as all were lost through Adam? Answer, no. Only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. So this is a question about now who are saved. So here's where we've been, right? We've talked about the comfort of our faith, the, the, the peace that we can find in Christ. So we can have these deeply rooted beliefs in God, knowing truth, because God reveals them to us. And then we spent nine questions over three days just driving the, the idea of our guilt and our sin and how much we need a Savior. And now that we've started to get into what God has done for us, we've identified that Savior through the catechism as being Jesus Christ, right? As revealed in the Scriptures, as proclaimed by God in the garden, as reaffirmed by the prophets and the patriarchs of the Old Testament, as preached by Jesus himself as he lived and died and rose from the dead. And then that message has been carried forward by the disciples, sent out as apostles, ones with a message. We've been given this message about Jesus. In a couple podcasts ago, I read from Romans 5 that it talks about how all have died in Adam right, that the sin of Adam has, has permeated all of us and that we, we start our lives with an inheritance of guilt and sin, but then we get on and we add to it. But then Jesus comes and reconciles us to God. So the question here really is, is this for everyone just as everyone inherited sin? Is everyone saved in Jesus? And the answer clearly is no. No, not everyone is saved. And this is, this is hard. That means some will endure the judgment of God. Some people will pay their own penalty for sin, even though they don't have to. What do you hear when you hear that, Vinny? Yeah, I hear the mercy of God. I mean, we talked about that in the last few episodes, mm -hmm. but really that 
if God is just and there's a punishment that's deserved, he's entirely just to punish everyone. The fact that anyone is saved for me is a tremendous act of mercy of God. Mm. And so I hear um, God's mercy, man, I hear humility um, just in being humbled that God would have any sort of grace toward me, a sinner. Hmm. I heard one pastor uh, speak of this a long time ago, and he said, uh, how unjust would it be of God to save those who never knew him, like to those who never want anything to do with him? Like, it would be, it would be weird, right. <laughs> right? Just to say, right. oh, yeah, everybody's forgiven. Well, what about the people that really, really are adamantly opposed to God that say, no, there is no God. I don't need a savior. I am my savior, blah, 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 whatever, right? Yep. Or even worse, what about those who attribute their salvation to someone else? And, right. and I will, man, I will say this. If you, if you worship Allah, you do not worship the same God as me, right? If you worship Buddha, you do not worship the same God as me. And other faith systems are not just different versions of the same God, but they are contrary, and so how would you worship someone or something else and then God say, no, no, really, you were mine all along? Really, this is a part of the justice of God. The answer, no, is justice. But grace comes in the only those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. And so that's the language we don't always use today, grafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. But we'll, we'll break this down in the next question as we talk about true faith. But let's, let's say this. In order to be grafted into Christ, that's, uh, that's language of, of branches being grafted into a tree or roots being grafted in. Like this is, this is becoming one with something else. And so it's uh, like a marriage where two become one flesh. They become one family. They're not separate. They're grafted together, right? This is becoming one in Christ. And so how do we do that? What do we, what do, we do with that? How do we become one in Jesus? And it talks about being grafted in by God, and we accept all his blessings. Now, the next question is going to start to dig into that. Question 21 says this, what is true faith? Answer, true faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ not only others, but I too have been forgiven my sins, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Hmm. How many times have we had people come in and, um, let me say it a different way. As pastors, how many times have we looked out over the congregation itself and we see just such a disparity in how one pursues Jesus over how another does. Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we look at those who take their faith seriously and those who are pursuing Christ, not only in, in you know, the Sunday morning worship celebration, but across their whole life, and then those who are checking a religious box, mm. you know, marking it off that they attended church out of, you know, habit or practice or tradition or whatever it might be. I, I think of this description of faith as a knowledge and conviction. Hmm. You know, that there's a spectrum of people in this, inside the sanctuary, some with knowledge and conviction and some just with knowledge hmm. and no conviction. You know, there's a difference between being immature in faith, unlearned in faith, new to the faith, right? Uh, and then being someone who has been around the faith for a long time who is not deeply rooted in it. Right. 
In my book I wrote, uh, I, I spend two chapters on this, and one of them is, is loving Jesus enough? And, and the reason I asked that question, let me back out of that for a minute. I wrote a book, I answered 10 questions, I answer all those questions in the book of Romans. I use Romans as the text I teach through. But the questions all come from counseling, social media, engagements with Christians, discipleship stuff. And, and there's this sense of sometimes as we look out over the landscape of the church, there are some people that seem to, like you say, just show up and check a religious box. And they've been doing it for a decade or more. So we're not talking about brand new believers. Right. We're not talking about people who you know, haven't had opportunity to learn what their faith should look like, but they just kind of show up and they, I go to church. You know, I'm a member of a church, maybe they say. I give you know, a, a, a whatever. And because of that, that's, that's kind of the sum total of their faith. And then there's other people that see this, this permeates every aspect of their life. Right. And I use the example in uh, my book, which is called Frustrated. Uh, and, and the title really is birthed out of like, I believe there's so much more in the Bible than we often find or see or hear from churches. And so the frustration was there's deep answers out there. So the question is, you know, uh, is loving Jesus enough? And I use the image of marriage. Is it enough to just say, I love Lisa? Uh, is that enough to be a good husband? And, and nobody would say yes to that, right? When, I, when right. I went from being someone who said, hey, I love you, Lisa. I want you to be my wife. I was a young man who was single. I became a man who was married. There's an expectation of change, right? There's a, a transformation that's going to take place. I am now saying, I love you. I love you alone. I have eyes for only you. I will be physical with only you. I will provide for only you. Like, we're going to create a family together. There's an expectation of change. Right. That's also true in our faith. There's an expectation of change. All of us, not just those who come and, you know, they look a certain way or, you know, don't look a certain way or whatever it is, but all of us are expected to change. How many times have people just say, well, I love Jesus, and, and, you know, that's enough. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I, I think you've experienced, like, where people are, um, when they're asked for more commitment or more time, they, they come back to, well, I, I've done my duty, mm. almost. Or yeah. I, I've, you know, I've met the bare minimum that I deem as necessary. They're not walking with, again, the knowledge, conviction, and deep-rooted assurance of what God has done for them. Because one, if you, be honest, if you understand with a knowledge of conviction and deep-rooted assurance that your sins are forgiven, that you've been made forever right with God and granted salvation, your life changes. Yeah. It, yeah, It's absolutely. going to continue to change. There's not going to be anything uh, that God would ask you to do that you'd be unwilling to do with that deep knowledge. You know, and have been granted salvation. Yep. Like, this is a privilege that's been given to you, not yep. something you deserve, right? right? We live in an age of entitlement, Yep. Right. So in the other uh, in another chapter in the book, I talk about what must a Christian do to be a Christian. And I and I posit really three verses up against each other. And Romans says in Romans 10 that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that that we're saved or that we're Christians. Right. Yep. In another passage where someone asked Peter, it's in Acts 2, Peter, what must I do to be saved? And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be given the Holy Spirit. So now he, one says, all you have to do is believe and say something. The other says, well, now you've got to respond to that. You've got to be baptized, and then God's going to fill you with his spirit, and some change is going to take place. And then there's a third one, and it's in, it's in the book of James. It says this, and I'll read it from James 2. 
But some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Right. And so James makes the case that belief isn't enough. But one says belief is enough. The other says it isn't. And, and I think you hit it. Real, true belief transforms you. Yep. If you really, truly believe that you are deeply sinful, that you have dug a hole so deep you will never get out of it, that you are so dead in your sins that there is no life left, and then God comes and breathes life into you and rescues you from that pit, you're changed. Yep. And it's not an academic yes or no. It's not checking a box. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. A knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. Also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. There was a book written by John Piper, oh man, 10, 15 years ago. talks about finally alive. And yeah. uh, he book. talks about people being so changed. They're never, never the same again. He talks about C.S. Lewis going from atheist to believer. You know, he talks about Augustine from his prolific life of sin to being the Augustine we know, St. Augustine of Hippo, right? And yep. I think of my story from being crime and drugs and prison, all those things to a pastor. And, and it... It's these big sweeping transformations we see, but isn't everyone required to see that kind of transformation? I think anyone, like the answers have told us, who is truly grafted into Christ should mm. expect to see that transformation. I mean, I, I've used the illustration that, uh, you know, strawberry vines grow strawberries, orange trees grow oranges, apple trees grow oranges. That's almost always true, right? Almost always true. Okay, good. In my experience, <laughs> uh, particularly at the grocery store, that strawberries <laughs> taste like strawberry, uh, but Christians who have been engrafted into Christ truly and have received all of his blessings will be transformed people. It's they will have the flavor and essence of Christ. Look at you. Look at that. Making the connection to the analogy full. Ooh. Proud of you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So there, obviously we're creating a question in somebody's mind. Right. Is somebody a Christian who's not changed? And, and hmm. here's what I would say. There's a difference between being a brand new Christian who doesn't know any better, hasn't learned, yep. is ignorant of things. That's not a put-down. That means unlearned, right? Yep. And someone who just shows up, yep. right? And that's what we're pushing against. So it's, it's that everybody requires transformation, you know, black or white, gay or straight, doesn't matter, rich or poor, you know, right. male or female, doesn't matter, you know, as Galatians says, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't right. matter, right? Everybody who comes to Christ needs Jesus. We all need to be forgiven of our sin. We all need to be changed. And so how do we do that? We, the only answer can be we learn what Scripture says. And again, the, the catechism exists to unearth the truths of Scripture. It's to point us to the Bible. At the end of each yep. of these questions, a bunch of footnotes with the biblical passages, right? This is to drive us into Scripture. So what is true faith? True faith is this, is this deeply rooted, so knowledge, conviction, deeply rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel right? That my sins are forgiven, that I've been made forever right with God, that I've been granted salvation. So these are truths, right? Yep. But these are truths that should transform us. Yep. So now the catechism pivots a little bit and it says, and I'll just ask question 22 of you, what then must a Christian believe? Everything God promises us in the gospel. That gospel summarized for us in the articles of our Christian faith, a creed beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. Now, we're going to expand that in just a minute. 
with the next question and answer. In fact, we'll close with the next question and answer. Uh, the next question and answer is going, to, uh, is going to recite for us the Apostles' Creed. That's something that has been held really since the birth of the church. So for 2,000 years, almost every Christian has agreed with that. And I know that there are some that are kind of out in left field that have disagreed. on. This is a unifying creed, right? This is something all Christians adhere to. Man, whether you're Roman Catholic or Orthodox, come from an Eastern tradition, whether you're Protestant, Baptist, go to a Calvary Chapel, a non-denominational, a denominational church, doesn't matter, Reformed, Methodist, this is something that is unifying. But here's what it says. You must believe everything God promises us in the gospel. And then it's going to summarize that. With, but here's what I, before we get there, here's what I would say. We have to be subject to the Bible. Right? We have to believe the promises as God has given them to us. Right? We don't Agreed. get to select and choose. Right. It's just like we have to take the Savior like we have to believe in hell. Yep. Like you can't have one without the other. There's, you know, you, you can believe in Noah's Ark, but, but you have to believe in a flood. You know, without the flood, Noah's Ark's just a big boat. Right. You know, it's, it's not a big story, right? We have to take the Bible whole. God's promises whole. Now we're going to start unpacking those, but we're going to close this podcast with this. And this is right out of the catechism, question and answer 23. And the, remember, it's coming out of 22 that that we have we, the articles of our Christian faith, the beliefs of our Christian faith. And so question 23, and we'll close with this. What are these articles? Answer. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at Jin Family Church.